0: Everybody welcome back into Dimming the Gaslight, you know me, my name is Mac and thanks for coming back for the newest episode. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to send a shout out to Tatjana Anders for last week's episode. Um, Tatjana is the main character in her film Your Reality on YouTube. So if you guys haven't checked that out, um, Tatjana had an absolutely amazing episode just telling us about how she acted in the film and how she created it and how she wrote it and so many cool stories. I am so, so grateful for her being on that episode. Tatjana, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, check that episode out if you guys didn't hear it. Um, so this week I'm really excited about this because I have um somebody that I've been following on Instagram for a really long time. My guest is Chelsea Brook Cole. She is a therapist that specializes in narcissistic abuse. Um, I really know that you guys are gonna enjoy this episode, and I'm really psyched to have her on. Just one thing I want to mention, um, and it's actually pretty funny. Chelsea has two cats, and you're gonna hear them kind of booming and crashing around during the episode. If you could have seen it, it was So, so funny watching these cats. Um, I tried my best to edit it some of the booming and the crashing out. Um, But if you hear that during the episode, that's what it is. It's her cats are wrestling with each other and it's hilarious. But before we get into the episode, you know I'm going to plug my normal stuff. So please follow me on Instagram and on TikTok at dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. If you'd like to be a part of the show, please email me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. And also remember to give it five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and leave a review on Apple podcast. If you like the show, Um, let's get to our next episode, guys to Brooke Cole. Chelsea, say hi to everybody.
1: Hi everybody. So happy to be here.
0: Well, so thanks for being here, Chelsea. So I, um, my first time learning about Chelsea was through my week 11 guests. If you want to go back in the podcast and listen to it, my week 11 guests were Chris and Lisa, who are high conflict divorce coaches from Been There, Got Out. And they run their own Instagram channel where they have guests on. And Chelsea is a regular on there. And when I was watching some of her videos, I was just blown away with the wealth of knowledge that she has. She's also a licensed, therapist. So the reason I wanted to bring her on was a lot of times I talk to you guys on Instagram and a lot of you talk about how to manage your trauma post narc abuse. So that's why I wanted to bring Chelsea on here. And uh, she's an expert in narcissistic abuse. So I'm really happy to have her here today. So Chelsea, one of the things I wanted to get into with you was when you were on Chris and Lisa's podcast, you dropped this absolutely mind blowing statistic about the amount of people who are affected by narcissistic abuse can you share that with us please
1: yeah it really is staggering when you think about it cuz that's always the big question right like people wonder is this really a lot bigger than we realize or is this just one of those pop psychology things that's blown up and you know it's it's not actually happening that much so it's always really interesting to share with people and w- we need to differentiate too between narcissism and narcissistic personality disorders. So when I talk about narcissism, I'm not just talking about the diagnosis piece, but there are plenty of people who are highly narcissistic enough that they're causing damage. So let's just take conservatively, let's say um, NPD rates are usually one to 2%, at least that's what we think so far. Just say, you know, six percent of the u.s population are problematically narcissistic then if we're thinking of u.s population that's 19 million people in the
0: u.s
1: (laughs) that are you know problematically narcissistic and if they impact just five other people then that's 98 million people suffering from narcissistic abuse so
0: christ 98 million People. And the funniest thing about it is, like, when we are going through this, we think we're the only people in the world and we know that there's something wrong with them, but we just can't put our right. finger on it. But there's 98 million other people in the world who can identify with this. That's absurd.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just in the US. I mean, and honestly, rates are much higher. Like, if you, that 6% is pretty conservative. So, I mean, across the globe, we're talking about, you know, multi millions of people that are being impacted by this. And you're right. Everyone thinks they're. Alone, They can't make sense of what's happening, which is why awareness is such an important part of understanding what you're going through and the healing process, which we'll get into. But, yeah, it is not a small number of people who are experiencing
0: this. Clearly. Very cool. So, like I said, I wanted to to bring um, Chelsea on here to manage, you know, to talk about how to manage trauma post-narc abuse. So can you tell us some of, like, the physical and mental and emotional repercussions of staying in a narcissistic relationship?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is something that impacts literally every area of a person's life. I mean, you think of, we'll just talk about the mental, emotional aspect, the amount of overthinking and ruminations and self-doubts and self-criticism and Mm. guilt. I mean, those are some of the first things that my clients often come to me with is just crippling anxiety at times um difficulty making any kind of decision even like really simple decisions because you are in a constant state of fight flight freeze or fawn yeah. your nervous system is completely wired all the time because your body even if you haven't made sense of what you're in yet and you haven't identified them as a narcissist your body knows that there's a danger and there's a threat and so mm-hmm. it keeps you hypervigilant on edge so you're experiencing All the symptoms, um, lots of people feel like they go through, you know, post-traumatic stress. And absolutely, you can experience that from narcissistic abuse.
0: Totally. I mean, so when you and I were were planning on doing this episode, we were going back and forth on Instagram. And I was telling you that, like, so I have this story and just ordering a pizza. This is something I've (laughs) never shared uh, on the podcast before. So I have two young kids and, uh, you know, my soon-to-be ex-wife at the time. So I'd be like, okay, what do we want for dinner tonight? Let's get a pizza. So I'd be like, okay, well, should I get pepperoni on the pizza or should I get plain? (laughs) Do I get a whole pizza or will the kids only eat one slice? How many slices will the wife eat? Do I want anything else? Do I want mozzarella sticks? Do you know, like, so this this whole, uh, I don't want to spend too much money. I don't want to eat a pizza because I'm going to get fat. And all these things start going down my brain where it's a landslide for 45 minutes of just order the goddamn pizza and stop thinking like most people who and this is what narcissistic abuse did to me. It just makes me feel like I couldn't make a decision to save my life. Not even ordering a pizza would take 45 minutes because I would go in these unbelievable circles to the point where I have this crippling anxiety about all the things that I have to consider when ordering a pizza. And I think that's something that, like, so many of us can relate to.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the simple things. And that's exactly why people end up thinking they're crazy. Like, there I, must be something wrong with me. And unfortunately, sometimes when you go to a therapist who doesn't understand this, you'll get that, you know, even a diagnosis of generalized anxiety or, you're you know, you're depressed. And that just... Further makes people think that it must be something wrong with me, and as you were talking, it just makes me think of how damaging gaslighting is. I mean, that's yeah. part of why the ruminations and the overthinking happen so much. Because if you have someone who's in your ear constantly saying, "Are you sure about that? That didn't really happen. I didn't really say that. You're misremembering that. Are you okay? Your your memory's kind of failing. Like you you, you seem like you're you're off a little bit. Yeah. It can also they they make you think they're even concerned about you. And it's like they're poisoning you and they you don't know that, but then they're blaming you for getting sick, But they're the poison.
0: Well, you know what the funny thing is too, like going back to the pizza analogy, right? So sometimes I do that that thinking out loud and I would do it in front of her. So like she would get the idea, like she's like, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're crazy. And like, that would give her all the ammo she needed to be like, but I'm like, no, you made me this way because I have to walk on eggshells even to order a pizza because you make me think I can screw it up. You know what right. I mean? So, and then they, and then I do that stuff out loud and then she thinks that I'm the crazy one. Um, exactly. But yeah, she made me like that.
1: Yeah. Nothing you ever do is right. And that's why like one of the pillars I work with people on in the healing process is building back maybe for the first time, the ability to trust yourself. Because it's amazing when we start diving into narcissistic relationships, how many people grew up in narcissistic homes, how many of parents or siblings or other family members, they actually didn't realize that their household and the environment that they, that they grew up in kind of primed them to, to feel familiar in these narcissistic relationships, not healthy but well, we yeah. don't typically choose relationships based on what's healthiest or logical, but based on what feels familiar. Right, so you can right, see how yeah, damaging right. that can be. Yeah. If you were totally. raised in a narcissistic household.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's hard for me to accept that I I seek out toxic relationships. But um, I know now, you know, especially in my dating game now, my boundaries are very strong. At the first sight of red flags, I run for the Good.
1: <laughs> That's right. Boundaries. I mean, that's something that's that word we hear about all the time. And it's it can't be overstated just how important it is, because I was talking to someone today about how toxic people, even toxic systems, hate boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's why you never feel like it's okay to set one. And you constantly feel guilty and question yourself. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people about what an appropriate time to feel guilty is. You know, guilt is when we, you know, have do something that goes against our values. Mm-hmm. It's not for setting a boundary. But yet when we're in a narcissistic relationship, we're guilted for literally everything. So you you don't feel confident in doing anything and you second guess everything.
0: Because we think we think that they're gonna see the sacrifice that we're making. So the farther that boundary mm-hmm. gets pushed or that goalpost gets pushed back we think like they're going to see it, right? Like, look what yes. I sacrificed for you. Look what I gave to you. Look what I'm willing to do for you, for this family, mm-hmm. for this relationship, for these children. And really all it shows them is like, this is what I can get away with. This is how far I can push yes. you. And it's never yes. actually really recognized.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The goalpost is always moved. Mm-hmm. And that's the crazy making that we get into. Like I I tell people there's there's an empowered and disempowered way to think about the fact that you can't control something. So people get to this point where they're like, I can't do anything about this. And it's driving me crazy. And they feel hopeless and helpless. And I'm um, yes, that's a possible way to look at it. But also, you can't do anything about it. This is not under your control. Therefore, you can't take responsibility for something you can't control.
0: Right. You know, it's funny. I mean, um, you know, you and I, we both love our Instagram memes. I saw, mm-hmm. one, I saw something the other day that said, uh, you can't love the pathology out of them.
1: And oh, I was like, boom. A
0: that is a good one, right? You can't love the pathology out of them.
1: Wow. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's exactly what we think. And that's how good hearted people, kind hearted people, people who believe in second chances often end up with narcissists because mm-hmm. we're the ones who are willing to push the boundary in the name of love, in the name of being giving and considerate and compassionate. And narcissists narcissists just see your forgiveness as permission.
0: Yeah. Totally right. Just as permission. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, you know, we're talking about pushing boundaries and, um, you know, kind of like difficulties making decisions and stuff. What are some emotional effects to narcissistic abuse? Um, you know, like when you get out, like in terms of like healing and, and coping and things like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one aspect and it goes, it's a range. So over across the board, I would say people feel anxious. That's one thing that almost everyone experiences is Lots of anxiety, but it, mm-hmm. it can go from the anxious, hypervigilant, overthinking ruminations to some people feel more depressed or hopeless or sometimes numb and apathetic. Like they're almost concerned that they don't have the emotion that they should be having, like they've tapped out. So I think it really depends on whether you, how you typically respond to like harmful situations. So whether you're more of a fighter, uh, flee, you try to get away. Uh, you freeze and you go numb, or you fawn. And that was a newer one that we don't talk about as often, but that's where we go into people-pleasing mode. And we don't often think about how people-pleasing can actually be a reaction to trauma or to being in difficult situations. So especially if you've experienced that growing up, then maybe surviving in your household meant making sure everyone was okay, making sure that mom or dad or whoever the narcissistic individual was was having a good day was okay emotionally so you learned to think outside of yourself and think for that other person and kind of to people please and make peace in order to feel emotionally safe yourself wow
0: that's really good that's really insightful see like i'm thinking as you're saying this you know i'm thinking about my own personal experience and um Man, I I, you know, on my podcast, I've said a bunch of times like I I had a false restraining order placed on me and I was separated from my children for 42 days. I had I have a six Mm -hmm. and a three year old and I had no communication with them for 42 days. Hardest period of my life. Right. And at the time I was on the floor. I was catatonic. I was throwing up. I was crying. Couldn't get out of bed. Um, And gradually, you know, I saw lights at the end of the tunnel when I got some legal wins um, and I was able to disprove her her accusations. But as I'm listening to what you're saying now, my my quote unquote detox, as I like to call it from, you know, that immediate narcissistic abuse was so ugly. And you're just talking about people pleasing. The people that I was around saw me in that state and they've kind of held on to that a little bit and they Mm -hmm. kind of still see me. They remember those early days and I've I almost sort of wish that I wasn't that bad, you know, and like I kind of wish like I was maybe a little more people pleasing to make it more palatable for other people to have tolerated my grief you know what i'm saying i don't know it's just something i'm thinking out loud as you're talking because yeah those those early days were emotional and ugly and uh, like i said the only the only uh comparison i can make to is to being lost at sea i don't know if you've ever seen that movie um life of Pi with the kid who was caught in the rowboat yeah. with the tiger that mm-hmm. was me i was taught <laughs> caught in sea with my tiger out there just trying to manage and uh yeah, it was an emotional time. But yeah, going back to the people pleasing, I'm wondering if maybe I should have, as you were talking, I was thinking, and yeah, maybe I should have been more people pleasing. Maybe I should have tried to hide it better. But you know, I probably wouldn't be where I am if I did.
1: Yeah. Now, I think everyone has their process. I mean, there are some people who are very internalized. And grief is messy. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Grief is multi-layered. And you have to go through all of those stages. And it, especially when you are in situations like where you're having to still co-parent or you have kids involved or something like that, I think there's so many more layers to it because no contact is not an option. Oh
0: God. Even <laughs> low contact is difficult.
1: Right. And so there are it's definitely multi-layered because you're grieving so many things, right? Like you're grieving the loss of the relationship, what it was, what you thought that it could be, any future hope. How now you're going to move forward with dealing with them and the kids and like managing all that and undoing what the narcissist is doing with your kids, mm-hmm. so it becomes uh, multi-layered.
0: And I think and I think creating the new identity too, like my identity for you know the better part of ten years. Was that of a husband? Was that of a father? And like, who the hell am I now? You know, who am I? Am I am I the narcissistic abuse recovery guy? Like, who am I now? Like, now I'm trying to get my life back together. You know, it's been almost eight months since I've been out. And you know, I am getting my identity back. And, and um, you know, it's funny, like, I, I like the, the things you hear about, like, you know, go to the places you cried and laughed now or do all the things that they wouldn't let you do before. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I am in this whole game now.
1: Yes, definitely. That's certainly part of the healing process that I'll encourage people to do is to think about the hobbies they used to have or the friends they used to see or the movies that they used to watch or the food they used to cook, whatever the narcissist made fun of you for, belittled you for, criticized you for, intentionally take time to do that because that is part of you uh, getting your identity back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to some of um, the symptoms. Like So we talked about brain fog and things like that. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of difficulty socializing Mm -hmm. because I wanted to get back to being sort of self-sufficient in a way. Like I didn't want, you know, like I was very cognizant of like, this is my divorce, right? Like this isn't anybody else's divorce. And mm-hmm. I was always constantly too, like when I was going through this is like, did do people want to hear this stuff? Like, do they want to hear me bitching and whining about this? Do, do they like me? Do I like them? Like it was all this stuff that's going on in my head about socializing and getting back in the world because I was held back by her from so long from – you know, there was a period where she told me, you know, don't ever tell anybody but about our business, and that was her way of trying to keep me under wraps, so I didn't tell people about this. So, can you talk right. a little bit about that? Is that is that something that you come across a lot with your clients, is people having fears of socializing?
1: Yes, in many different ways. So, I'm just thinking about what you were sharing about, um, you know, your soon-to-be ex talking about don't um, don't share our business and things like that. That's such a way that they start to isolate you. I've seen that happen so many times. Because they'll often triangulate in a way as well. They'll tell friends things that you didn't know. And then you don't even find out until after the relationship that your ex has actually been saying all this and making this stuff up about you, your whole relationship. And you're like, what? So mm-hmm. it becomes a very like delicate process to go back out into the world because you're like, I've been in this vacuum of just trying to survive for who knows how long now I'm trying to go back out in the world. I don't know who I am. I don't know what people think of me, what they know of me, what lies have been told about me, not to mention the smear campaign that narcissists will go on after the breakup. So again, multi-layers, it's, it's complicated. It's not as simple as like, Oh, just go hang out with friends. It's a great support system. Sure. It can be, but if you don't understand why you're feeling so anxious about friends and socializing again then it'll just be another place that you blame yourself.
0: Yeah. My you know my ex so my ex had a good relationship with my aunt, an aunt of mine. Mm-hmm. And when we separated like when we were planning on separating she's like um well you know your aunt's going to side with me, right? Like your aunt yeah. sees the way you treat me. Your aunt my, your aunt knows, your aunt knows. So when we were finally separated and I go to my aunt and I go, "Hey, listen, like just shoot me straight," right? Like Did you see that I treated her poorly or did I? She's like, I'm your aunt. What are you talking about? She's like, of course I'm on your side. And it almost even pissed her off that I even would ask that sort of question. She's like, no, I'm your biological family. Like, why would you even have any doubt in me? And it's like, man, she even had me doubting that, like, my own family didn't like me. Yeah. You know, my my, your aunt sees the way you treat me. What did I do? I'm just fed
1: up with you. Yes, exactly. That is not the first time I've heard that. That's that's a common narcissistic theme is they tell you what other people think of you. And I think that gets in your head. So by the time you, you're done or you're being discarded or the relationship is ending, then they've already told you so many things that your friends or family actually think about you. And they make it seem like they have all of these secret connections with everyone in your world mm-hmm. as if everything has been infiltrated and everyone sees <laughs> and everyone believes them but that's just all part of that narcissistic delusion because the reality is they they may or may not have even talked to those people and they're speaking for those people as if you know you're never going to talk to these people or follow up with them or actually be able to see if these people think that way of you or not because that's how narcissists are they want to get in your head and color your whole world so that you feel isolated and you feel alone.
0: Yeah. It's funny as you're talking, like, you know, months ago, this would have had me like angry or like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, like. <laughs> a, and as, as we're talking, we're sitting here smiling. you like, cause it's just so bizarre. It's like, this yeah. just doesn't like, when you're in it, you're like, I just know that this is not how the real world operates. You know what I mean? And also mm-hmm. for the same token too, like, so they triangulate you against like family members and your own friends and stuff. And you're like, OK, well, you know, she says my aunt saw the way she treats me. So now I'm getting mad at my aunt. I'm yeah. getting mad at my aunt. And I'm like now because that's also their tactic to also say, like, well, I'm that's going to make me not. She thinks that's going to make me go not go to my aunt to to consult with her because right. now I'm mad at her, you know, and yeah. and, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about that on my podcast. She separated me from my family for the better part of 10 years. And man, when I got out and and hopefully like, you know, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times, I was I was estranged from my sister for the better part of the last 10 years. And I hope my sister will come on this podcast at some point and talk about our relationship because I know she's listening. But um, yeah, like I've gotten to reconcile with all those people who were like, no, like Mac, she was the problem. We know she was the problem. Yes, you had free will. Yes, you screwed up. But no, we understand where that came from. It's funny my I had another another aunt, not the aunt that she was triangulating me against, but a different aunt who said that they were watching a dateline episode about um a narcissist who killed somebody and she was we like they were so worried that was going to be you.
1: Oh my <laughs> you goodness. Know,
0: like, yeah, it's scary, but um no, nah, I'm glad that like I said with that triangulation now like I see mm-hmm. the bigger picture, I see the forest for the trees and I'm glad about yeah. it. Definitely. Um,
1: it definitely speaks to your healing journey. You're right. So much of it at first is like that denial and the anger and the bargaining of like, could I have avoided this? How did this happen? You know, all those questions. And as you move through the grief process, you get to a point where sometimes healing, you, you uh, heal through laughter of being able to just think this it's is so
0: bizarre.
1: I know. I mean, I, I explain it like it's a lifetime movie. <laughs> and I don't know whether to tell people about it or not, because you almost have to warn them like, some of the stuff that's happened sounds like a Lifetime movie. And so you're wondering when you're telling people this stuff, are they believing you? Like, it's so crazy. You sound crazy. You feel crazy even having <laughs> to explain what you've been through. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah.
0: It's it's bizarre. And, like, obviously, in those early, early days of it, it's not funny. It is not no. funny. But the, the more separation you get from it, you know, it's just so much absurdities that like you just sit back, you couldn't make this up, This stuff up. You couldn't make this. It's even too <laughs> absurd to make it a Lifetime movie. It's just too absurd. But one of the best quotes that I've always heard and something that I've latched on is there's no way around it. Right. You can't dodge this yeah. healing. You can't go around it. You can't go above it. You can't go below it. You have to go through it. And if it's a tunnel, if it's a dark tunnel, yes, there's light light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes, man, that is so dark. So like, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for people who are maybe in that dark tunnel and they might not see the light at the end of the tunnel or they might not think it's ever coming? How Do you have any advice for people on how they can hold on?
1: Yeah, it. you can definitely get to a dark place with it. And I think one of the biggest things that I always start people with is just that self-awareness, not only of what you're experiencing, but where I see people starting to see the light and starting to get out is learning about narcissism and narcissistic abuse and having a name and a label for it. Like people come to you or come to me, I guess, as a therapist. um, So broken and unsure and second guessing themselves and in that dark place. And when we can kind of peel back those layers and say, this isn't you, like you're not crazy, you're not the problem. This isn't something wrong with you that you've just had all your life, this is narcissism. Like this has a name, this has a label. When you can say that's triangulating, that's yeah, gaslighting, here's the cycle, here's how they, you know, swept you into this relationship. Here's the love Here.
0: bombing, here's the trauma bond. Here's yeah. all this stuff. Like and that's the thing is like, you know, that was my very first episode I did with this podcast is I called it the ingredients to the narcissist recipe. And okay. you know, I'm not I know I'm not, you know, this is not my i'm a newbie right in this in this (laughs) scene but like i was just hoping that like if if somehow this was the first time that i could ever bring this to somebody and and i'm really blessed that it has been for some people have come to me and said yeah like i've -hmm. I've learned about narcissistic terminology from listening to your first episode and it's just that's just wild to me but we when we're in it we just think like you're crazy but like we sit back and we go now I sit back and go, oh, that's gaslighting. Oh, that's oh, that's when they got my dopamine levels skyrocketing mm-hmm. just to like crash it back down. Like, oh, I remember this and I remember this and I remember this. And like, it just all fits together. And, and divorces are hard enough, right? Mm-hmm. Divorces are hard enough. But then you have this unspeakable, irrational abuse that like is physical and sexual and emotional and psychological. Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point it's like, Like you were saying before, you don't even know how to explain it to somebody. You get to therapy. You don't even know where to start. (laughs) Nope. You know? Yeah.
1: I often describe to people, because, you know, they'll apologize. Like, people who've really been through narcissistic abuse will often apologize a lot and be like, I'm sorry. I know this sounds so bad. Like, I don't understand. I'm not making any sense. Like... And I'm like, no apologies needed. And it's like pulling that string of yarn and then it just keeps unraveling and unraveling and unraveling. So I tell people it is in layers and you pull one string and then it's going to tie to something else and something else and something else. But it's within that space of just being able to get it out and see it. It's like when your nose is like touching a painting, like you're standing so close to it, you can only see the little dot. Like you have to have perspective, you have to back away. And once you... Word vomited it all out. You've made sense of it. You have the labels. You're like, oh, I can see it. And you can distance yourself from it. And know I wasn't crazy. I was in a crazy mess, but I'm not crazy.
0: Those aha moments are precious. I love yeah. when people tell those aha moments on these podcasts of when they first discover narcissism. It's, those are always good stories. Those those turning points, those breaking points are always great. Yeah. You know, uh, we didn't touch on this, you know, prior to talking, but maybe you could tell me a little bit about... um how to find a therapist who has experience with narcissistic abuse. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. I'm glad you asked. I mean, I think it's really about just being direct and asking the therapist, like, do you ever work with narcissism? What do you understand narcissistic abuse to look like? How have you helped other people? If you have, you know, worked with clients who've experienced narcissistic abuse, I have clients that ask me that. And I think that's great because then I get to lay out hey, here's our game plan. And then they leave even our consult call with a little bit of hope that like, okay, I can actually see the path here. So just being direct and asking if they have any experience with it. And if so, how have they helped people in the past? And number one, making sure it resonates with you. If you get an off feeling about the therapist, then find someone else. Like use your intuitive guide. I know it's difficult because when you're in a narcissistic relationship, that's been squished, but this is part of your healing and you get to decide who you resonate with and who you don't.
0: You want to hear something so bizarre? Um, so right when I got out of out of the you know relationship, I, I got right into therapy. It was like one of the first things that I did, but my sessions were at 1130 at night with a therapist. It was bizarre online. And we did a couple of sessions. And obviously, I'm like, I can't do this at 1130 at night. And so I quickly switched. And that was the very first thing I did. Like I was like desperate to find a new therapist, and I and I went to this woman, and I said, I have reason to believe that I've been in a relationship with a narcissist, and I said, um, I'm looking for somebody who has experience with narcissism, and. My current treating psychiatrist, uh, uh, my current treating therapist that I'm with now, goes, "Well, I was married to a narcissist for 16 years." So I was like, <laughs> "When's our first session? When is our first session? Because I'm, I'm there. I will sleep at your, in your driveway if that's what it takes." Yes, but, uh, that's great. Yeah, you definitely awesome. want to hear that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. why I put in my story, like I'll tell people up front, I've experienced it on multiple levels. So this isn't something and not that a therapist has to, you know, have went through everything their clients have to understand. But I think when you're in this space, in particular, it can be helpful to find a therapist who has some kind of background or personal experience with it, just because, man, we get it on a deep level. And I mean, and I'm telling people things that I have to do myself, and I still have to do. So it's not like, Is uh, that hard you know, for you no, I, I found it very helpful. I think this is part of why I was drawn to to be a therapist in general is because I've always had an interest in personal development, understanding people. I'm like, my downtime is, you know, listening to self-help books, reading them. I, I don't have any light reading, like, <laughs> so I'm helping people. Completely
0: inundated with narcissism and psychology. and
1: I am, like, I'm always listening to books or audios. And yeah, it's it's a lot, but it's basically what that's what I love and I'm glad to be able to help people and yeah. I help myself through helping them and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I tell a lot of people, you know, cause people are really uh, gracious and, and they've helped me tremendously. And I, I always say, especially, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have this, this podcast and, and to talk to so many people, but there was a version of me. Like I was talking about with those detox days, there was a version of me that was laying on the bathroom floor and crying and having a towel under my head. And I was yeah. just, it was awful. And I just remember thinking like, you know, I wish there was somebody who understood this moment that I'm going through right now. And and like I'm really fortunate to have gone through that so I can have people come on this podcast and talk about their experience. And I can say, you know, I went through it and here's how we're going to get through it. And here's what I did. And hopefully I can help you. But um do you have any advice for like slowing down your thinking when you have like that yeah. high tension anxiety? Do you have any advice mm-hmm. for that? Mm
1: hmm. Yeah. I often encourage people to take a few different approaches and I like to figure out what works best for each person. But um, <clears throat> of course, deep breathing can be super helpful just to, from the nervous system perspective. Um, and journaling, something called like release journaling, where you just write down your thoughts as quick as possible. They don't have to be legible. You don't even have to look back at it. You can burn it afterwards. But just to be able to to get that out or changing your environment. Some people like to exercise, go for a walk. Yeah. Do something that sometimes you can go into the thoughts and like journal. And sometimes you need to give your nervous system a break before you even go into them because it's too painful or too intense. So at that point, you can do something like take a shower, splash some cold water on your face, like play with your pet, do something that actually gets your mind off of it until your nervous system settles back down.
0: Yeah. I know for me, it was it was really difficult because um a lot of us and I, I've heard this from a lot of people like, you know, we know that they were wrong for us. But for some reason, man, we just we remember the good times, you know, yeah. and, Euphoric and recall. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? Euphoric recall. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what you're what you're saying. When you have this this feeling of logically your brain knows what has happened but emotionally you're remembering all of those good times and that's often what will keep people going back keep people mm-hmm. ruminating about the relationship and it's, mm-hmm. it's associated with the trauma bond yeah. so you know you know that there's all of these bad times and the devalue and the criticisms then there's those few good moments it's like you had a terrible summer but then they took you out for dinner one day and you're like, but we had such a good dinner, <laughs> but the sky was blue. It had to be a yeah. good time. Yeah. Right.
0: You see, like, so I created this ruminations list um, very early on for what I, when I started, you know, it was funny. I think I named it. It was in the notepad of my phone. I mm-hmm. didn't put like pen to paper, but I put and it. The the subject of the note was reasons. I hate the narc. <laughs> 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 and it was just like this long list of like, It could have been anything, you know, like, you know, I would go to the store and bring her home a Hershey's bar, but she would never bring me anything. You know what I mean? Like, and I would go through this whole list of things. And it was like, if this was, you know, the proverbial tipping of the scales, Mm -hmm. I could see that, like, this was a mile long. And like, yeah, you can miss one really isolated incident. But in most cases, all those good times I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I'm the reason that they were good. Not, not them. I was the reason that they were good. Yeah. You know, I made some rom- romantic scenario where I, I had the idea to go somewhere. It was rarely ever them. So right. a ruminations list um, for me helped me tremendously to remember the very real bad times.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really great. And it's really helpful to do, especially if, You are having one of those episodes of euphoric recall and emotionally you start drifting back to that and wondering about things or having feelings or or we can, you know, kind of misremember things like we don't really remember it as what happened. We just remember like that snapshot good moment. So when you have that ruminations list. You can go. Oh, that actually was terrible because right after that picture-perfect photo, like they yelled at me about how I, you know, cooked the dinner or what I was wearing and said I would look awful. And so, being able to be logical with ourselves and write that down can really be helpful when you have those moments.
0: So, Chelsea, you want to hear of, uh, something kind of funny? I have a, a funny confession to make. Today would have been my seven-year wedding anniversary, and at this very moment, I'm talking to you. Wow. <laughs> so I'm remembering I am remembering the very bad times at this very moment because (laughs) you know it's over and it's okay because I have this whole clean beautiful canvas but yeah anyway right now would have been my seven-year wedding anniversary as we're talking now but this is great (laughs) this is I'd rather be doing this I'm not remembering that
1: (laughs) yeah it's Um, so funny how that happens
0: yeah weird right Oh, so going back to um, talking about therapy, okay? I'm a really – listen, it's 2022, okay? I'm a real big advocate for mental health, and Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you what. I had a high aversion to taking any antidepressants or meds um, after this because I didn't want the stigma of being somebody who was taking medication. But sometimes just roughing it through these things, the anxiety was more than I can take. And I went to a psychiatrist and I told them about my aversion to taking medicine. And I kind of liked the way it was broken down to me. And I don't know if this is necessarily the most professional advice, but they said, listen, a diabetic needs insulin, right? Mm-hmm. You need this. You need this. You're not being able to manage it. And the stigma is not really there anymore. So... um. Can you speak to anybody who f- might be listening to this who feels maybe embarrassed or apprehensive about taking mm-hmm. medication? Because I feel like it tremendously did help me.
1: Yes. Medicine can be a, a wonderful additional um, help and support. And I think sometimes part of the reason that people are hesitant to take it at first is because they already have a tendency, maybe throughout the relationship, the narcissist has told them they're crazy. Maybe they've said before, Mm -hmm. you need therapy. You should be on medication. Like you should be medicated because you're so crazy. Mm -hmm. So they have so many reasons why they might not want to take it. But again, this is really about you doing what's best for you and taking your power back and deciding what you need to do. So I often encourage people, you know, looking at it, like it's a phase, it's not something you have to be on forever. We talked about how difficult it is to make choices and to make decisions at this time like take it one day at a time if you have can see that hey i could eat, use some medication right now to kind of reset my nervous system to get my neurotransmitters my chemicals all back in alignment and you know what a month from now six months from now i'll have a conversation with my doctor and we'll reevaluate just if you feel like you need it then there's absolutely no shame in exploring that and remembering that it can be for a phase i have you know, clients I've worked with who've been on it and then have just actually came off of it. And now they're feeling great because their life is in a different place now. They're emotionally in a different place. So you don't always have to use it. And I think that can be helpful too, because people worry, well, I get on it. I won't be able to get off of it. And that's not the case either. It can certainly be for a time.
0: Yeah. Well, I like, I like what you just said. I mean, it's, it's for, it doesn't have to be forever. It can be for a period of time. And, you know, I can remember being really, adverse to taking it and then realizing how much it, it helped me. And um, it it just helped to make me feel a little less panicky all the time and and just be mm-hmm. able to, to manage things. And so now having some distance in between having left the relationship and also, you know, I've gotten a little bit of legal resolution a little bit. I am starting to see the bigger picture and I am starting to see how like how we were talking a little bit about it before. Right. Like you can go to the places that you've cried before now and you can laugh, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, I, I I like to say it like, you know, the dating world is wide open, you know, like you can move mm-hmm. on. There is life after divorce, life after narcissistic abuse. You know, they always told you, you know, I got this a lot. Like, who else is gonna love you? Who else is gonna put uh. up with you? And like it's like there's billions of people in the world. You know what I mean? Like you are not a lost cause. And I know for me, like I, I've been using it, I'd say for the better part of like two to three weeks now. I've been saying Life feels like a big, white, clean canvas, and I can make mm. this life whatever I want to make it. Do you have a lot of clients that come to you and, you know, eventually, like, is that kind of when they go off on their own and, like, try to pave their own road and, 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 uh, you know, move on with their lives?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking that is a great healing place to get to because basically you have removed the narcissistic layers, you've done. The healing work and it's a process you know it doesn't mean like it's a checklist and like oh I'm done with narcissistic healing now like it's something that we'll go back to from time to time but yes it's absolutely a place you can get to when you start to feel like you know I can make my own choices and my own decisions and I can think the thoughts I have and have the feelings I have and I don't have to feel guilty for them and I don't have to justify or explain myself I think that is some major healing is being able to just take the time to say when you can get to the point where you can say, I can have my own thoughts, I can have my own feelings yes. and I don't have to justify them to anyone.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a big thing for me, too, um, because, you know, we owned a house together. Um, I'm doing this podcast, my one bedroom apartment here. And do you want to know what? I had a full home and I'm in this one bedroom apartment all by myself. And all this is mine. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I got to decorate this. I have all my furniture. Like, I can set up my music and my soundbar and my coffee. And, like, I could cook my food. And, like, oh, my God. It's, like, that feeling. I had a a listener actually um, DM me last night. And she said, you know, I just wanted to tell you that I just closed on my brand new house. And I'm here decorating. I swear to God, like, I got choked up just reading this because I'm, like, I know that feeling of, like, when I moved into this one bedroom apartment, I didn't even have a bed. I just put blankets on the floor and I replicated this thing that I saw early on in this, in this whole narcissistic recovery game. And it was like, sometimes narcissistic abuse starts off like this and it was just blankets and a pillow on the floor. And that's all I had. And I was so happy. I was so happy that I had these blankets and sheets sitting on the floor and I'm not with somebody that like I was worried was going to kill me in my sleep. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so nice when you finally see that big picture, the blinders come off and you realize there's a life out there and I'm going to make yeah. that life mine, you know?
1: Right. Because the narcissist has you in such a small worldview. Like they want to become your reality. They want to tell you how to think, how to feel, just like we were talking about. They tell you what other people think of you. So you, you know, don't even believe that you can talk to people anymore. Like they, they shrink your world and your worldview so that when they're no longer like standing in between you and the sun, when they're no longer blocking it, you can see like there's there's a whole life out there. The sun is shining. It's just someone was standing in my sunshine.
0: <laughs> oh my! God, I've used that analogy before. That's so funny that you say that. All I had to do was <laughs> yeah. just take the eclipse away, and exactly. holy god, the world, everything the sun touches is just beautiful. the The, the sky is bluer. The grass is greener. The coffee is better. Like it's just everything is so much better in life. It's amazing. Yeah. Well Chelsea listen I've really enjoyed talking to you um, you know for the past uh, 45 minutes or so we're heading on out is there anything you want to leave the listener with before we end
1: I would just encourage people to follow your intuition and not to ignore those gut feelings that you have whether you're in the beginning of a relationship in the middle toward the end if if we could learn one thing it's to trust your intuition and that would save us so much heartache from getting into relationships and even while we're dealing with them to stop gaslighting yourself by mm-hmm. trusting your intuition.
0: I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, they had a stopping us from trusting our own intuition for so long mm-hmm. that it's all you now, baby. And keep going because it's it's yes. so good. It's so good. It's so good. Well, listen, Chelsea, thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, If you guys want to follow her, she's on Instagram. You can follow her at Chelsea Brook So that's C-H-E-L-S-E-Y. B-R-O-O-K-E-C-O-L-E on Instagram. Uh, you can rewind that a little bit back if you want to do it again. <laughs> but um, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I was really looking forward to, to doing this with you. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time with us today.
1: Absolutely. So happy we could.
0: Awesome. All right, everybody. Until next time.